Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters Sports Bar will sponsor your next private event. Walters is located right across the street from the ballpark in Navy Yard. Register at waltersdc.com and click the Inquire Now button. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. a fastball to the outside missing really? to Carson Kelly. And now you get your home plate umpire Doug Eddings talking to the Nationals dugout. He and Davey Martinez shouting at each other. Well, whoever said it, then we're not going to do it. Whoever, no, 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 you're not going to tell me. Whoever, you know what, take, you take care of your dugout then. Whoever said it, okay, then I'll take care of Well, Davey's coming out. He's hot. He's pointing across the field for something. Doug Eddings upset at whoever was shouting at him from the Nationals dugout. <laughs> okay, you're done. Oh, Davey just got ejected from the game. He said, get it right, do your job, and Doug Eddings threw him out of the game. Now Davey's going to get his money's worth. Kicking some dirt around in the right-hand hitter's batter's box. <laughs> laying down on the ground to show him how low the pitch was. And he's talking about pitches that Kelly was catching that he didn't think were strikes. Wow, I've never seen anybody do that. Davey is getting his money's worth. Ejected for the first time this year. And he's going toe-to-toe with Doug Eddings. I wasn't the one screaming in the dugout. It was loud. You could hear everything, you know. We're in a crucial situation right there, and you know the, the call was bad. And so, but I, you know what? Look, like I said before, nothing against the umpires, nothing against. But I, you know, I'm going to protect my players, and and that's all there's to it. And welcome to Nats Chat for Friday, June 23rd, 2023, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. The Nationals on Thursday afternoon had a makeup game against the top team in the National League West, the Arizona Diamondbacks at Nationals Park. This was a makeup game of a game that was supposed to have happened a few Thursdays prior. June 8th, the game did not happen due to bad air quality caused by wildfires in Canada. The conditions at Nationals Park on Thursday afternoon were cloudy and empty, as in the ballpark was basically empty, and the result was yet another Nats loss and also an ejection for our Nats manager, Davey Martinez. 5-3 was the final. The Nats now have lost 17 of their last 22 games. The Nats now are 28-46. and 46. That is the 
second worst record in the National League. Davey Martinez off getting ejected by the home plate umpire Doug Eddings got on the ground stomach first to demonstrate something to Doug Eddings. Mark, you have covered the Nats franchise since it came here in the 04-05 offseason. Was this the first time in your time covering the Nats that you have seen Davey Martinez on the ground or on a floor, stomach first? Or have you had that view of Davey at some other time? I don't think I've seen that one before, but I want to clarify here, Al, because I think if you watch the replay, he actually was holding himself up with the left hand as he had the glove, you know, the catching hand up. I think the point was to show how low the catcher would have had to been to receive that ball that Doug Eddings called a strike. I think he was holding himself up and actually showing off the abs with that one. It wasn't a push up. Somebody called it a burpee. Is that you're, you're the fitness guy? Is that the correct term for what he was doing? Well, that would have been a plank while he was down on the ground. And then when he got up, he turned it into a burpee. So maybe it was some sort of like core workout uh, that Davey was showing us there to Doug Eddings. It was something. You could hear everything during this game. It was remarkable. This was reminiscent of the 2020 empty stadium games. Uh, I think a lot of people listening remember when Steven Strasburg was sitting in the stands and uh, said some things in an empty ballpark. And you almost had that. At least it felt like you had that on Thursday afternoon. It is not often that Davey Martinez gets ejected. This is just the 11th time that Davey has been ejected in a regular season game. The first time that he has been ejected this season. So, you know, I guess to break up the monotony of the season, why don't we just go ahead and deal with the ejection and then we can get to everything else that happened with this game. So top of the fifth, one out, nobody on base, Nats down 2-1. The Nats starting pitcher, Jake Irvin, who had a very good game, we'll get to him, threw a pitch that was low and was called a ball by the home plate umpire, Doug Eddings. Now, I don't know what you saw. The pitch did appear to be a ball, but this, of course, was not just about this pitch. This was about multiple other calls that the Nats had not liked from Doug Eddings. And like I said, very few people in the ballpark. The official attendance, 13,251. So umpires very easily could hear players. Someone in the Nats dugout said something about the call of the pitch from Jake Irvin as a ball. Doug Eddings ended up talking back to the Nats dugout. That led to a back and forth between Eddings and Davey. Davey then came out of the dugout. Eddings and Davey got into a heated exchange, and Eddings ended up tossing Davey as he was making his way back to the Nats dugout. And then the show began. Late night with Davey Martinez. He came back out onto the field. He was screaming at Eddings. Davey swiped and kicked dirt onto home plate. Davey did what we just talked about, the plank slash burpee slash demonstration. And you clearly heard Davey say to Eddings, you're embarrassing. Among other things, a few words that uh, I'm not sure my virgin ears had heard before. This was quite the performance by Davey Martinez. Yeah, and I think it's safe to say this had been building up to that point, not just within this game, but maybe over the course of that entire homestand, which didn't really go so well for the boys. As we know, there was probably a lot of frustration, probably a lot of uh, just exhaustion as well. This has been a tiring stretch for the Nationals. Go back to in Houston, they have a nighttime getaway. It ends up being their first extra inning game of the year. They get in something like 4 a.m., come right back to play another game. They haven't had a day off since. They looked like a tired team all week. I'm not making excuses for the performance because there's plenty of things that have nothing to do with how tired they are. But I do think they are tired. And I think all of that built up to in this game what you saw. Now, you had C.J. Abrams called out on a strike three the previous inning on a pitch well below the zone. Let's be clear about that. And then the following inning, you have Jake Irvin not getting essentially the exact same call. Now, 
that one wasn't a strike, but I'm sure whoever it was arguing from the Nats dugout is just trying to say, hey, you called the last one a strike. Why aren't you calling this one? Now, here's what I think really set Davey off. And you could kind of hear it. Great job by the Mass and crew to, first of all, Bob and Kevin just to back off and let the field mics take over because you could hear this entire exchange. And what you heard Doug Edding say to Davey was, you take care of your guys. You take care of your dugout. I'll focus on what's going on here. I know for a fact that that kind of message in particular really, really doesn't sit well with Davey. If you go all the way back to the World Series and the Trey Turner play, remember how it was the following inning or in between innings when Davey finally went off and lost his mind and was ejected? Part of that was because the umps were telling him, control your guys. There were others in the dugout who were still screaming and ranting and raving about it. And the umps were telling him, hey, you're in charge of your guys, control them. David doesn't like to be told that, as you could see from the reaction that night and in this case. So I think that is what really set him off more than anything. He didn't like the balls and strike calls. Of course, nobody would. But he also knows, and he said this in the post game, these guys are human. They're going to make mistakes. You get upset by them when they cost your team, but you also understand it is going to be part of the game that mistakes are made. So I think it was the way that Eddings was talking to him about his dugout that really set him off. And then once he's going, once he's ejected, no holds barred now. You might as well just put on a show, might as well make your point. And he certainly did that in this case. Well, people have been begging for Davey to show some fire, show some emotion. So he certainly did that on Thursday afternoon. I mean, to me, we should have automated balls and strike calls. I think it's like way past time that asking for perfection from these umpires, you're never going to get it. I think these umpires actually, for the most part, do a pretty good job. But, you know, when you miss a few, people get on you and it's like, okay, I'm not going to get everyone right. And, you know, you have things like you had on Thursday afternoon. Although, you know, I think some people might say that something like that is good for baseball. It's entertaining. It's something to talk about. What really struck me from Davey was the way he talked during his postgame press conference on Thursday afternoon. He sounded tired. He sounded fatigued. He sounded beaten down. His voice almost sounded hoarse. I don't know if it was from screaming at Eddings, you know, a few hours earlier, but he was not his normal, let's go 1-0 and tomorrow, cheerful, positive, upbeat Davey Martinez self. You know, in order for us to get better and to compete and to compete with really good teams, we got to clean it up. We really do. You know, I think that is obviously a function of the way that his team is playing. And I think that that feeling, that vibe that Davey had after this game and may well have had prior to the game is something that is bleeding into his players because they played like that on Thursday afternoon. This was not an inspired performance by the Nats. We have not seen many inspired performances by the Nats lately. There was a lot more sloppiness on the field. You know, the offense, save for three guys, did nothing in this game. And the Nats are in a real rut. I mean, you know, we keep mentioning the record and the recent, you know, losses, and you kind of become numb to it. But like, it's important to understand this. 5-17 and 17 over the last 22 games. You at this point can basically break down the Nats season into three parts. Began the season 4-11, and 11, then went 19-18, and 18, and now since the 19-18, and 5-17. and 17. That is a brutal 22-game run. Yeah, it is. Now, I think if you remember at the time, we kind of predicted that things might start to go downhill a little bit. We knew the schedule was getting tougher. We knew they were starting to play a little bit less crisp baseball that really defined most of that 19 and 18 stretch where we said, hey, even when they lose, they're playing a good brand of baseball. You kind of saw at the end there, there was that series in Kansas City that they won two of three and they really didn't play that well. And they almost won in spite of themselves. And then they go from there to L.A., 
and they've faced the Dodgers, the Phillies, the Diamondbacks, the Astros, the Braves. They've faced some very good teams during this stretch. So some of that, I think, is a function of who they're facing. But it would be one thing if they were playing good, clean baseball, and they were just getting beaten by better teams. That has not been the case. There are a number of these games during that stretch you just referenced that I would say they actually should have won the game for a variety of reasons. There are some that the bullpen blew it. There are some that you said, boy, if they just got one more hit, they would have won. But there have been several games, and this might have been the number one among them, that if they just made the plays they're supposed to make in the field, they win this game. They get five runs in the game. One of them was earned, and I would argue that shouldn't have even been earned because it was a result of a pop-up that Luis Garcia completely misplayed. It goes down as a hit, quotation marks, but that's a play that should have been made. The pitching staff did not deserve to give up any runs in this game. That was really sloppy stuff from them, and it came back to bite them. And you saw a Diamondbacks team. Look, I don't think either team wanted to be there on this day. They didn't want to have to fly back in from Milwaukee on their way to San Francisco. The Nats wanted their off day in San Diego. Nobody got it. Nobody was happy to be there. But the Nats played like it, and the Diamondbacks instead took advantage of it. And you saw the way they ran the bases because of it and the way they went and ended up winning that game. There is a reason that the Diamondbacks are in first place in the National League West. I mean, if you're not paying attention to the NOS standings, it is not the mighty Dodgers who are in first in that division. It is the Diamondbacks. Right before the end of the Nats season in late September, Bruce Springsteen is coming to Nationals Park. If you're trying to find tickets to the concert, check out the Game Time app. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. It's the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Well, we all know what summer means. Uh, Summer means baseball. Summer usually means more home runs in baseball, but uh, summer also means heat and humidity and your energy bills being rather high due to your air conditioning working extra innings. It is time to beat the heat with Window Nation's summer sale. Save thousands of dollars with an outstanding offer. No money down, no payments, and no interest for two years plus Window Nation will give you two free windows for every two windows that you buy. All you have to do is call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Increase the value of your home by up to $12,000. Hey, make your neighbors jealous. Who doesn't want to do that? Again, the Window Nation summer sale. No money down, no payments, and no interest for two years plus Two free windows for every two windows that you buy. And this goes for any style of window from Window Nation. 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Hey, Natch Chat listeners. Here to tell you about Bird Dogs, the world's most comfortable pants. Bird Dogs make you look good. Bird Dog shorts also do the exact same thing as Lululemon, but fit way better. They also fit better than regular shorts that are made of a stiff, restricting cotton. 
Go to birddogs.com slash pool and enter promo code pool, that's spelled P-O-O-L, for a free Yeti-style tumbler with your order. That's birddogs.com slash pool for a free Yeti-style tumbler. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you. And the pitch, swinging a ground ball toward the middle and on through into center field, a base hit. Carroll rounds second. The ball bobbled by Hill, but he was going to third. Anyway, he's going to try and score. Throw to second, and now a relay to the plate is not in time. Oh, speed kills if you make a mistake. And with a bobble by Derek Hill in center field just momentarily, as Carroll was going to third, a green light from the third base coach, and Hill threw the ball to second. Basically, no chance to get the runner at the plate. More defensive miscues by the Nats in this game. The Nats came into Thursday 27th out of 30 major league teams in team defensive runs saved for this season at minus 20. For comparison's sake, the Diamondbacks were number five at plus 21. So Jake Irvin, top of the first, allowed an unearned run on two singles, the second of which was a two-out first pitch run-scoring single by Kristen Walker up the middle. And then center fielder Derek Hill committed a fielding error in overrunning the ball. I mean, this was like Little League stuff, allowing Corbin Carroll on this single to score all the way from first base. Then we had the play that Mark just referenced. Top of the fourth, Irvin allowed a run on two singles and an RBI sack fly. One of the singles, a one-out single by Lourdes Gurriel Jr., who sent a pop-up to shallow center field. But second baseman Luis Garcia completely lost track of the ball, and so it dropped for what went down as a single. The 2-1. Swinging a fly ball, right center field shallow. Garcia late break out, over the shoulder, goes spinning around and missed the ball! We have seen the Sun Monster get players at Nationals Park this season. This was a cloudy day. I mean, what was this, the Cloud Monster? Like, I'm not sure what happened there with Luis Garcia, but the defense up the middle for the Nats in this game, very much lacking. And then we later in the game had another significant defensive mistake by the Nats. Jordan Weems in the top of the seventh allowed three runs, all of which went down as unearned due to what went down as a throwing error by Luis Garcia on a well-hit leadoff grounder by Alec Thomas. Although... To me, the Nats' first baseman in this game, Michael Chavis, he could have caught that ball. I mean, that was a one-hop throw by Garcia. Not a great throw, but, you know, I think a better defensive first baseman maybe makes that catch. Now, you know, all three of these runs being unearned, I think, is a little sketchy. I get the rule. I wish this would be changed. I mean, Jordan Weems did not respond well to the error. Two-out walk of Geraldo Perdomo, and then Weems gave up a two-out three-run homer by Cattell Marte to the second deck in right field for a 5-2 Diamondbacks lead. But, I mean, put aside unearned, earned, whatever— I mean, three significant defensive screw-ups by the Nats in this game, and it feels like every game we're talking about, you know, one or more defensive miscues by this team. And these are not, you know, errors of, well, he just kind of made a bad throw or, well, he missed the ball. These are sloppy mistakes. These are, I'm not going to call them mental mistakes, but they are almost a um, lack of attention mistakes, you know. Derek Hill, you're fielding a routine single to center field, and he doesn't look the ball all the way into his glove. He's watching the runner. Now, we know Corbin Carroll's a great base runner, and to his credit, he forced that issue. But if you're Derek Hill, what do you do in that spot? Make sure you have the ball before you try to figure out where the runner is and try to figure out if you have a chance to throw him out or not. So that's number one. The Garcia pop-up, he got turned around completely. That's bad form. You don't ever want to turn your back on the ball unless you have no choice. In that case, as you saw, there was never any reason for him to get turned around because the ball never was going to go that deep 
to begin with. And then the other one, I agree that Chavis had a chance to catch it, of course. But what really happened there was it's this kind of sinking liner that Garcia couldn't catch on the fly. So he's got to pick it up and make the throw. He had time to set himself and make a good, strong throw. Instead, he just picked it up and whipped it over there off his back foot. And that's why it skipped and Chavis didn't make the play. Now, the home run, yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, Weems needs to not let that end the inning. It's two outs and a man on first. He should be able to get out of that. And he walks Perdomo and then gives up the homer. But if you look at the home run pitch, it was up out of the strike zone. You know, this wasn't a hanging slider. Now, I don't know the book on Cattell Marte. Maybe he is a high ball hitter. And so that's not where they wanted to go with it. But as far as three run homers go, you know, this wasn't one of those, oh man, he put it on a platter for him. It was up, you know, it was not a strike. So all of that, of course, you know, going bad. And like I said, I think the issue here is it's not just routine errors. It is a lack of concentration, a lack of effort, a lack of attention, whatever you want to call it. And I feel like we're seeing more of that kind of stuff lately than we are the traditional error where you understand, hey, guy made a good play and he just threw it away, ball slipped out of his hand, whatever that is. That's not the kind of mistakes they're making right now. Yeah. And I want to say this too about this, you know, fatigue thing, the Nats are tired, et cetera. First of all, and I'm not saying this to sound like a tough guy or whatever, but like, you know, this is the season. Like, this is the job, okay? You play 162 of these games. There are a lot of these games. You have things like rainouts or postponements or delays. And so you're going to have times in which you're playing without a scheduled off day over, say, multiple weeks. Like, that's the job, okay? This is part of why you get paid a lot of money because MLB generates a lot of revenue by playing 162 games. So, like, you know, that's the way that it is. The other thing is this. I mean, Davey did play a number of backups in this game. He gave a lot of guys days off on Thursday afternoon. We had Stone Garrett as a starting left fielder. Kbert Ruiz was the starting DH. Michael Chavis was the starting first baseman. Riley Adams was the starting catcher. Derek Hill, who just got here, was the starting center fielder. So I don't know if I'm really accepting this thing of like, these guys are tired. Like some of them may have been, but a lot of these guys don't play that often. And in the case of Hill, the guy just got here five minutes ago. So should they really have been that tired? No, right. And you know who else had every reason to be tired even more so? How about the Diamondbacks who flew in from Milwaukee the night before? The Nationals got to sleep in their own beds on Wednesday night after a day game and show up for this one. The Diamondbacks got in late from Milwaukee, spent one night in their hotel, checked out immediately, played a one o'clock game and are now on their way to San Francisco, and they didn't seem to be affected by it. So yeah, you're right. Davey coming into the week, knowing what the schedule was going to be, he made a point to try to give everybody of consequence a day off at some point along the way. So he was cognizant of that. Yeah, it's not an excuse for any of it. And you want to see more engaged play. I get it. You're losing. I get it. You're tired. It's been a very rough stretch. But you find out a lot about teams and about players when they're in circumstances like this. And I think what this is telling us is that some of these guys are not handling the situation well. And if I'm Mike Rizzo and I'm trying to evaluate how this is going to go moving forward, I think you learn some things in games like this. Well, the Nats are 74 games into the 162. There is a lot of baseball left to be played. I mean, these are not the dog days of August, okay? These are what, the dog days of late June? Like, you know, so you got to suck it up, Buttercup, okay? Like, there's a lot more of a season that's coming up here. 
Well, a positive for the Nats in this 5-3 loss to the Diamondbacks on Thursday afternoon was their starting pitcher. It's a funny thing. The Nats in this uh, work week here have played four games. The first two games were started by Josiah Gray and Mackenzie Gore. The last two games have been started by Trevor Williams and Jake Irvin, and the two best starting pitching performances have come from Williams and Irvin. Jake Irvin on Thursday afternoon was good for a second consecutive start since having his turn in the rotation skipped. Uh, Coincidence? Maybe. Then again, maybe not. But Irvin on Thursday afternoon, two runs, one earned in six innings with six strikeouts versus one walk. Gave up just five hits, all of which were singles. He did issue a hit by pitch, but he threw a lot of strikes. 87 pitches, 61 strikes, versus just 26 balls. His previous start, 5-2 loss to the Miami Marlins at Nationals Park this past Saturday. He ended up being good in that game, bit of a slow start, but he, in that game, one run in five innings in pitching in a game for the first time since June 6th. So, you know, back-to-back starts here against two teams having good seasons. I think the Marlins are fraudulent, but the Diamondbacks are having a legitimately good season, one of the best teams in the National League. And Irvin, on Thursday, two runs, one earned, six innings, six strikeouts. And as we just talked about, the runs really weren't that much on him, given the defense behind him. I think he's pitched extremely well in these two starts since coming back. And I think that's a really encouraging sign. Mechanics were sharp. He was throwing strikes. His velocity was up as well in this one. He was throwing his fastball where he needed to, allowing him then to go to the curveball when he wanted it. And, you know, We've talked a lot about this over the last several years and asking about, is anybody on the team showing improvement? Is the coaching staff helping anyone? I don't know exactly what they worked on, but I do know that Jim Hickey and uh, Jake Irvin worked on stuff in the bullpen during those 10 days that he had off, something with his mechanics that they wanted to clean up. It looks so far, according to the results, that they have done something there. So I want to give credit to them for doing that. Now, He's got to do this more than just two starts. Let's see if he can keep it going. But for a guy who prior to that break, we were saying, boy, he might be one start away from being sent back down to AAA. I think he has reversed course there and made you say, okay, we want to see more of this now because he does look like he has something good going on. So a lot of credit to him against a good lineup. And he went out and threw strikes and pitched well. We, for now, can pause that conversation of, is Jake Irvin pitching for a spot in the rotation? Like, no, I think for now, that gets put off to the side. So good for him. Nice job by him. Uh, The Nats bullpen on Thursday afternoon, two relievers combined to allow three runs, all unearned over three innings. Jordan Weems allowed those three unearned runs in the top of the seventh, and then Corey Abbott tossed two scoreless innings. Kind of a strange game for the Nats offense on Thursday afternoon because the offense basically was about three guys, all of whom had very good days, and then essentially nobody else did anything else. The Nats, for the game, totaled three runs, nine hits, and just one walk. Eight of the nine hits came from three players, Lane Thomas, Kbert Ruiz, and Riley Adams. The Lane Thomas All-Star campaign continued, two for four, solo home run, and a single. He and Nats one run third smashed a one out solo homer to left field to tie the game at one. And then Thomas in the bottom of the fifth, a leadoff opposite field weekly hit single that trickled into right center on an 0-2 pitch in a classic case of when you're going well, you're going well. And on a ball that he hit, it felt like about six miles an hour. He ended up getting himself a hit right there. Lane Thomas now, his team leading OPS for this season is up to 839. His uh, slugging percentage for the season is up to 498. And we put out a poll on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. We talked about this a bit on the previous installment of the podcast. 
when it comes to the trade deadline on August 1st, what are you thinking with Lane Thomas? He clearly has been the team's best hitter this season. Would you say trade him or would you say keep him? And uh, as we are taping this installment of the podcast, 60.5% of Nats Chat Nation is saying to keep Lane Thomas. To me, you know, I mean, you know me, I love talking about potential trade chips. I don't view Lane Thomas in that way. To me, he has played well enough. He is under team control for long enough to where I think he's more building block, at least potential building block, than he is trade ship. You could always trade him, you know, a year or two from now. I think with the way he's going, I think you keep him and, and you maybe have him moving forward. Yeah, I agree. You know, I understand the motivation and you think, hey, you could really get something sell high on him, but he's got two and a half years of control left, very affordable, still in arbitration, not making a fortune. And as much as we want to believe that the Nats have oodles and oodles of outfield prospects who are all going to become superstars at the big league level, we don't know that. We don't know who's going to actually pan out and who isn't and when any of that's going to happen. Of the group right now, James Wood looks like the safest bet, but he's still at double A, so we don't really know for sure. Robert Hassel is still figuring things out himself. Elijah Green is swinging at everything that he sees, and that's an issue that he's going to have to work on. Lane Thomas may be better than any of them, at least in the next couple of years. Lane is establishing himself as a good major league player right now, potentially an all-star, as we've talked about. So I get that it's a rebuild, and I get that you want to focus on the youngest guys and say that anybody who's here, if you have a chance to get something in return for them, you have to do it. No, I would stick with that one. Let it play out. If two years from now, as he's in his contract year, you've got all those other kids up here, they're making a difference, and he looks like he's expendable, you can still get something for him. You're not getting a Juan Soto package of prospects for Lane Thomas with the same amount of control left, obviously. So yeah, he's their best player right now. And you need guys like that on a team, not really knowing who or when any of those prospects are actually going to arrive and hit it big. This is only his age 27 season. It's not like, you know, he's 29 or 30 and under team control until the 2025-2026 offseason. So yeah, I would not be looking to trade him. You know, you always, I think, listen to whatever other teams have to say. But yeah, I think he's done a good enough job to where you view him as more of a building block than you do a trade ship. So Lane Thomas, another good game for him on Thursday afternoon. And then we had the oh-so-rare occurrence of both K-Bert Ruiz and Riley Adams starting a game for the Nats. Uh, K-Bert was an ad starting DH and number five batter. Riley Adams was an ad starting catcher and number seven batter. And each guy had a three-hit game. Kbert Ruiz, three for four with a ground rule double and two singles. He and the Nats, two-run ninth, had a leadoff ground rule double off the left center field warning track on an 0-2 pitch. And Riley Adams, another game in which he produces offensively, three for four with a two-run homer and two first pitch singles. He and that Nats, two-run ninth, had a one-out first pitch opposite field, two-run homer to right center to cut the Nats deficit to 5-3 and perhaps make the game at least a little interesting. The homer went and projected 404 feet per stat cast. Bottom of the second, Adams had a two-out first pitch single to left. Bottom of the fourth, a one-out first pitch single to left center. How good has Riley Adams been in uh, infrequent playing time this season? Just 63 plate appearances. That's it. And yet the OPS is 960. What a job he's doing this season. 
He's hitting extra base hits is what he's doing. Doubles, triples. Yes, triples, plural, because he has two of them matching the team record for a catcher in a single season. Do you remember who had the only other catcher to have two triples in a national season, Al? Paul LaDuca. Uh, not quite. No, no. He may not have had three total bases that year. Jesus Flores in 2009 had two triples and Riley's already had two and he's had two of them here just in the span of uh, you know a couple of weeks. So he is hitting really well. I like this look, having both of them in the lineup. I would like to see more of that, both with using it to give Cabert Ruiz a chance to DH, but maybe even to give Riley Adams a chance to DH at times. And what I would really like to see, and maybe we will at some point here, would be this exact same look, but with Joey Manessis at first base instead of sitting and Chavis at first. Now, Joey was supposed to have a day off earlier in the week. He didn't get it because of... uh, Jamer Candelario being scratched at the last minute and the domino effect of all that. So I think Davey just wanted to make sure he got his day off, which is fine. But moving forward, I don't have a problem with Joy Manessis playing every once in a while at first base. Let Dom Smith, who we know has struggled offensively, sit. And yeah, go ahead and put Ruiz and Adams both in the lineup. What I liked there was that even though you would say, okay, for a catcher, you want to give him a full day off to rest. Ruiz still was very productive, maybe even more so than he's been, because you don't have to think about that other part of the game for the day. Just relax between innings, go in the cage, take some swings, study the pitchers, go out there and hit. So if you can get, what, six combined hits between your two catchers in a game, that's really good. And in a lot of ways, those are better options than the other guys they have on their bench if they want to give somebody a day off. So I liked that look. I would like to see more of it. Well, it allows you to perhaps see Cabot Ruiz do the thing that we were told he would be able to do well, and that is hit. He has not hit all that well as a major league player. A good bit of bad luck this season, that's true. But, you know, small sample size aside, you do wonder, you know, is it coincidence or maybe not that he as a DH uh, goes three for four like this on Thursday afternoon. But beyond Lane Thomas, Cabot Ruiz, and Riley Adams, just not a lot happening with this Nats offense. The Nats, two through four batters, Luis Garcia, Jamer Candelario, and Stone Garrett on Thursday afternoon, a combined 0 for 11 with one walk. I mean, this was another low walk game for the Nats. They keep having these. They're just not drawing walks right now. C.J. Abrams off his good game the previous day, 0 for 4 with three strikeouts. I mean, that's the thing with C.J. Abrams. He does some good things. He had a good series overall against the Cardinals, but then, you know, he comes out and has a clunker like this on Thursday afternoon. You got to see more consistency with him. I was disappointed to see him have that kind of a game on Thursday. Yeah, me too. Now, one of the strikeouts was not his fault. That was the call that precipitated everything. But the other ones were, I mean, he's getting caught looking. He looks at times like he doesn't really know what he's looking for up there. Swinging at bad pitches, taking good ones. There's a lot of work to do there, I think, unfortunately. You wish that wasn't the case. But at the moment, he has not looked like the hitter that we thought we were going to see based on what he did in September. When Remember, he got the slow start after the trade, and then he picked it up over the last several weeks of the year, and you thought, okay, that's who he can be. He has not looked like that. He has his moments, like you said, that's great. But consistency day in and day out, you've got to start seeing that from a guy who's supposed to be a cornerstone player for you playing every day at shortstop. So next up for the Nats, nine consecutive road games, beginning with a six-game trip out west, and that six-game trip out west will get going with a three-game series at the San Diego Padres this weekend. Game one, Friday night, 940, Patrick Corbin will be the Nats' starting pitcher. Game two, Saturday night, 840, Josiah Gray will be 
that adds starting pitcher and game three Sunday afternoon at 410 Mackenzie Gore will be the Nats starting pitcher so you have these nine consecutive road games three at the Padres then three at the Seattle Mariners next week Monday through Wednesday then mercifully comes an off day for the Nats but then comes a three-game series at the Philadelphia Phillies the following weekend June 30th through July 2nd on that off day that Thursday between the final Seattle game and the first Phillies game does the team go straight from Seattle to Philly, or does the team come to the D.C. area for like a night and then go to Philly? No, they'll fly straight. They'll take a red-eye flight to Philly and then have a full day off in Philly. So that part's nice, but it's not a true traditional day off where you get a good night's sleep in your own bed and then don't have to go anywhere the next day. That's a rough one. And if I'm not mistaken, they come back from that and they're home all week through the July 4th holiday right into the All-Star break. So this is going to be the last off day they have going into the All-Star break. This continues to be a really tough stretch for them. No excuses, though. They need to go out, play well, try to win as many games as they can, and get themselves to the All-Star break in one piece. It's a lot to ask, but we need to see better play out of them. Whether they win or lose, that's one thing. You want to see better play out of them than we saw during this homestand. This was arguably one of the worst homestands they've ever had in club history. I think that's pretty safe to say. And it's not just because of losses, but the way they lost some of the games, the way they played some of these games. You got to go now figure it out out west against the Padres and Mariners and then in Philly. That's a tough task, but let's see how they respond to all that. Yeah, one and six homestand, three game sweep to the Marlins, lose two or three to the Cardinals, and then lose this makeup game to the Diamondbacks. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast to NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. We have a new website. We invite you to check that out, NatsChatPodcast.com, at which you can order yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the music of the Nats Chat Podcast. Visit timnewmark.com. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Went one for four on Tuesday with a double, as well as coming across home play, as that one is hit out into center field. You have Isaac Bellinelli on the run, and Brady House gets his first career Blue Rocks home run. A solo shot, first on the year, and that was just right over the heart of the plate.